Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. This morning to welcome you to Connect Church and hope you are doing well, you and your family. Thank you for being with us today, whether you're joining us digitally or you are in the house physically this morning. We are so happy that you are here. And I'm going to tell you, it's been good to be back. I've had the past couple of weeks, I've been on vacation and out, and a couple Sundays ago, had Pastor Holly Miller here, and I got to sit on the front row and, and just soak that in. But it is so good to be back preaching this Sunday morning. Listen. I hope you packed a lunch because I've got three hours in me, okay? So just a warning shot across the bow. Now listen, we are so grateful to be back together uh, this morning, especially in this series of messages that we've been preaching through entitled Happy. Now, church family, we know that the chief end of our faith is not happiness, but it's joy in Jesus. But here's what we're convinced of, especially as we read this letter that Paul writes to the Philippian church. And here's what we're convinced, that when Jesus is at the center of my joy, when Jesus is my greatest joy, I'm the happiest that I could be in this life. And you know what the truth is? You are too. You are too. And so, as we come together, we find a letter that Paul writes to this new church plant. And it's a letter full of practical teaching on how you and I can live out what God has done in us through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes this letter, as you know, from Rome, where he is chained to prison guards because of his faith. But here's one thing we begin to uncover, that his joy in Jesus cannot be bound, it cannot be chained, and it cannot be hindered. And we see that come alive here in this letter he writes to the church at Philippi. So if you have your Bibles, let's take them, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And as you turn there, today we talk friendship. Because that's exactly where scripture takes us. So as you're turning in your Bibles to the New Testament, to that small letter of Philippians, I thought maybe we could turn our attention just for a few moments to those theological, intellectual giants of the internet, minions, to talk a little bit about friendship and see what kind of friendship you are. So let's look at these theological giants and some statements they make about friendship real quick from the all-knowing internet. You ready? True friends don't get offended when you insult them. They laugh and insult you with something better. How many of y'all have friends like that? Man, they just, man, they're quick-witted. I love friends who do that. Let's listen to some more statements about friendship. We will be best friends forever because you already know too much. How many of y'all got some friends like that? They just know too much not to be your friend. Um, I love this one, too, coming up. It says this, you ready? Let's see if I can get my clicker to work. It is hard to find friends who are awesome, so don't lose me, right? So you need to remind some people in your life, awesome friends are hard to come by, so you don't want to lose out on this. And here's the last one here. We have been friends so long, I can't remember which one of us is the bad influence. Right, if you've lost the idea that you're the bad influence, maybe you've been friends a little too long. But man, don't we just love our friendships? Well, you know what? Paul does too. In fact, I love the great writer C.S. Lewis, the great writer of faith. He said this, that friendship is the greatest of worldly goods. Certainly to me, C.S. Lewis writes, it is the chief happiness of life. Isn't that a good way to put friendships? But not only did C.S. Lewis love his friends, but 
Paul does to look here in Philippians chapter 2, beginning of verse 19. And here's what Paul writes. He says that I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Hey, you know what he's saying about old Timothy, one of his best friends? That even when the guy comes into the room, no matter what I'm going through, man, he just kind of brightens up the room. It, he makes my day better just by being there. You have a friend like that? He says, I'm hoping to send him to you soon. He goes on and says this, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. You know his proven worth. Timothy is proved himself. Listen to how Paul talks, how he writes about his friend Timothy. He says, there's no one like him. And if you were to study the Greek language there, what Paul is saying is this. When it comes to Timothy, we have the same mind, we have the same heart, we have the same passion, we have the same goals, we have the same determination. And there's no one like him. He goes on and says this, that Timothy has proven himself He's proven himself to be selfless. Timothy cared for more than Timothy. I'll be honest with you, that's a pretty good quality in a friend, isn't it? He cared for Paul. He cared for other people. Timothy was not a bandwagon friend. He just hopped on the bandwagon when things were going well. But to only find himself to scatter when things were not so well. Timothy was proven to be a faithful friend to Paul. I love this Timothy. He traveled with Paul in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 19, he was with Paul in Macedonia and was on the tail end of Paul's journey in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20. We, we find also that Timothy would help Paul write some of the greatest letters and books in all the New Testament. The book of Romans, 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, Colossians, and Philemon. You know what's amazing about Timothy. Every time we see Paul and Timothy together, they were doing life together. And you know what? They were better together. They were just better together. Hey, can I ask you a question? Do you have a friend like Timothy? Or maybe the better question this morning, First Church, is this. Are you a friend like Timothy was to Paul? Are you a friend like he was? You know, I think of, uh, I got to thinking about my, my best friend. Just for a moment, I, I want you just to kind of picture in your mind who your best friend is on this planet. The person who has the most influence in your life, the person who has the, the biggest impact in your life, and, and, and without question, immediately, my, my best friend is, is my wife, Erin. You know, I think of her, and, and I know what Paul's talking about. Guys, listen, there's no one else like her in my life. She is genuine. She is selfless. She is proven to be a, a faithful friend. And man, she reminds me of Jesus. She's the, the greatest influence in my life and has the greatest impact in my life. L listen, church, I'm a better believer. I'm a better man because Aaron is my best friend. But I got to tell you, Aaron's my best friend, but I have an even greater friend, as hard as it is to imagine. I have a friend that 
As Proverbs 18.24 says, sticks closer than a brother. His name, you know him. His name's Jesus. And here's the deal about our friendship. It cost him everything. And his influence in my life is like none other. Hey, can I ask you something? Is, is Jesus your best friend? Now listen, everybody answers that yes on Sunday. Is Jesus your best friend tomorrow? Is he really, really your best friend on Tuesday? On Wednesday? When your bank account's a little low, maybe your job's not there anymore. Is he, is he your best friend? You know, Paul, Paul's best friend. Now listen, we know Timothy was up there. But the best friend that Paul ever knew was Jesus. He continues on in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 25. And we find not only a best friend in Timothy, but we find a pretty good old friend in Epaphroditus. Look in verse 25 if you would. Paul writes, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Now watch how he describes him. My brother, my co-worker, my fellow soldier and your messenger to minister to my needs. So we're introduced to Epaphroditus. Now, Paul calls him the messenger. Now, oftentimes we see that in the New Testament. You know what he's saying? That, that Epaphroditus is the elder or the pastor, and we know this, of the church at Philippi. And he was, he was, a, he was a pretty incredible pastor. And he was a good friend to Paul. In, in fact, how they have this kind of interesting conversation take place here in Philippians chapter 2 is that the Philippian church had raised up some money and some resources to send to Paul while he was chained for his faith in Rome. And so Epaphroditus, the pastor, decided, you know what? I'm taking it to him. Amazon quite wasn't up yet back in those days. And so he decides, you know what? I'm going to take the gift to him. And so he goes and he meets with Paul. And he gives him that, that, that financial support and the resources Paul needs day in and day out. And listen to how Paul describes his friend in Scripture in verse 25. Listen to how he describes Epaphroditus. You ready? That he is my brother. Hey, he's more than just a friend. He's family. That he is my co-worker in the gospel. And that he is a fellow soldier in the fight against the enemy. Man, I listen to that and I think, man, what a friend Paul had in Epaphroditus. That Epaphroditus had in Paul. And here's the question I got. Do you have a friend like Epaphroditus in your life? Do you have a brother or a sister that's more than just a friend, but they're, they're family? They're a, they're a co-laborer, a co-worker in the work of the gospel. They're a fellow soldier in the battle against the enemy, against darkness. Do you have a friend like Epaphroditus? And hey, hey, better yet, are you a friend? Are you a friend like Epaphroditus? Are you a friend like he was to Paul, like Timothy was to Paul? Here's what I know to be true. That every time we see glimpses into Paul's life, in his writings, in his books... You know what we find? We find what is true for Paul, for Timothy, for Epaphroditus, for me and for you today. You ready? And here's two truths we uncover. Number one, hey, you and I need 
good and godly friends. Hey, you ready? You and I need good and godly friends. We were made to go it alone. Genesis chapter 2, God had surveyed all of his creation. And he looked around and saw Adam alone in the garden and said, It is not good for man to be alone. You and I need good and godly friends. In fact, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says this, that two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. You know, church family, by any measure, Paul was incredibly successful in life and in his faith. But he couldn't do it alone. He couldn't do it without best friends like Timothy and good friends like Epaphroditus in his life. He couldn't go it alone. And hear me, he refused to go it alone. Paul's friends brought him good return for his work. And you know what's amazing? Even as he sits there in a prison because of the very same faith that Timothy and Epaphroditus had, when Paul perhaps could have been in the hardest place of his life, here they come. Old Timothy and Epaphroditus. And you know what good friends really do? They don't just lift you up. They don't just walk with you through the hardest times. You know what good friends do? And they carry you through the most difficult times of life. They were there for him. You know, I think of all these descriptions of Timothy and Epaphroditus, and here's what I find about you and I. You ready? That our good and godly friends, there should be no one like them. Their faith, their friendship ought to be proven. They ought to be your brother or sister in Christ, a co-worker in the Great Commission, and a fellow soldier in the battle against the enemy, just like Timothy and Epaphroditus were to Paul. I love what one person wrote. A friend is someone who goes in when the rest of the world goes out. Ecclesiastes 4.12 Though one may be overpowered, the Bible says, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Hey church, do you have good and godly friends? Are you a good and godly friend. Here's the second truth we uncover as we look into Paul's life here in the latter part of Philippians chapter 2. Not only do we need good and godly friends, we need to choose good and godly friends. The question comes, does God really care about who my friends are? Hey, listen, one read of the Bible and the answer emphatically is yes, he does. In fact, he has a lot to say about the friends that you and I have, and we choose. I ran across the story of two old boys who were hunting up north in Alaska, that great elk in Alaska, and, and they were up there hunting together when all of a sudden and some noise came from behind a bush, and one of the friends yelled out. The other turned and looked, and they saw a grizzly bear far off, but it was charging for them. So that one buddy who first saw it grabbed his tennis shoes out of his bag and began to put them on. His other friend said, man, what are you doing? Don't you know you can't outrun a grizzly bear? He said, I don't have to outrun the bear. I've got to outrun you, right? Hey, listen, choose your hunting buddies and your friends wisely. 
be careful. In fact, Scripture would teach us as much. Look what it says here in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. A good and godly man or woman is cautious in their friendships. Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. What's amazing about Paul? The closest, the most influential friends in Paul's life loved Jesus and pointed Paul to Jesus. And I love my youth pastor. He's, he's one of the dearest friends I have on the planet, Scott Carter, over at First Severeville. I always said this growing up. He would say, Anthony, show me who you run with, and I'll show you who you are or who you soon will be. Anthony, show me who you run with, who has the greatest influence in your life, who has the biggest impact in your life from your friends, and I will show you who you are or who you soon will be. You know, I got to thinking about this passage. I got to thinking about Timothy and Epaphroditus. I got to thinking, I really want to run with people who run with Jesus. That is, I want my closest and most influential friends. And I want them, I need them to run with Jesus. Now listen, I have all types of friends in Christ and those who are not in Christ. But those who influence me the most and impact me the most, got to be those who have been influenced and impacted by Jesus the most in their life. Now now parents, I want to give you a quick word, especially if you have kids in the home. Do not give up your God-given right as his steward of your children. Do not give up your right to help your kids, your children, Choose good and godly friendships, especially while they're in your house. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. You pray for, you pray for good and godly friends right now. Be proactive in helping your kids choose wisely and be protective of those who influence your children the most. Hey, good and godly friends make all the difference. J.C. Ryle would write this. He said, the world is full of sorrow because it's full of sin. It's a dark place. It's a lonely place. It's a disappointing place. But the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. And here's what he says. For friendship divides our sorrows and multiplies our joys. And isn't that exactly right? Hey, don't you see that in Timothy and Epaphroditus? Hey, good and godly friends divide our sorrows. Oh, but it multiplies the joys of this life. You know, I stop and I think, you know, man, if you've got good and godly friends, you ought to stop right now and thank God for them. You ought to stop right now. Thank God for my good and godly friends. Maybe you're sitting there going, you know what, I, I don't have any. And I really need some. Well, you know what? Pray for them. Pray for good and godly friends in your life. Ask God for them. You know, in all this talk of friendship, church, 
want to say this. If there's ever been a time that the church needs to befriend its community, it's right now. If there's ever been a time that the community finds a friend in the church, it needs to be right now. Watch how Paul finishes out Philippians chapter 2 in verse 26. Speaking of Epaphroditus, something happens when this boy travels up to Rome with the gift that the Philippians had for Paul. Watch this in verse 26. For he, meaning Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. The boy was sick. Indeed, he was ill, Paul writes, near to death. Near to death. Literally, that phrasing means that that guy was on his deathbed. Epaphroditus was dying. Now watch this. But God had mercy on him. Now, there's some argument about really what happened here, but it may very well be that God had healed Epaphroditus because there was little hope if you were dying in the ancient world that you would get any better. But he says this, that God had mercy on him, but not only on him, Paul writes, but me also. At least I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So let me play this out for you. We don't know exactly what got old Epaphroditus sick. But in that time, in the Roman world, there are known plagues. There are known diseases that he could have contracted. And many believe he contracted some type of virus that nearly cost him his life. Hey, church. Doesn't that hit a little close to home? Maybe maybe that hits a little too close to home today. Plagues and pandemics have always been a part of humanity's story. Since the fall in Genesis, plagues and pandemics have always been a part of the story. And you know what? The elephant in the room, remember, no fat jokes, it's not me, but the elephant in the room is, guys, we're right now deep in a pandemic. I don't know if you guys knew that, but I just wanted to break the news to you. We're we're deep in a pandemic. But it's not the first time a plague or pandemic has rocked the world or even impacted the church. I think back to the second century, so really a generation right there near the Bible. The Antonin Plague of Rome, which nearly killed 25%, a quarter of all the Roman Empire. This was an incredibly destructive plague. Happened in the second century. Well, there was a Siberian plague in the Roman Empire in the third century. It was a virus akin to Ebola virus that we've seen on the world stage in the recent past. Devastated the Roman Empire. But what's amazing is as you study history and church history, every time there was a plague or a pandemic, the church exploded in growth and in its impact. And the question becomes why? Why is it that we can trace back in the Roman Empire terrible plagues and pandemics and yet on the other side of it, the church was stronger, the church was better, the church was more impactful. And here's the reason why, you ready? Because plagues and pandemics serve as platforms for which the church can befriend their communities. I'm reminded of what Proverbs 17, 17 says. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born in adversity. You know, I think you think, wait a second, befriend my community. Hey, pastor, you may not know this, but, but there's lost people in our community. 
there's people who don't go to church. People who don't act like us or believe like us or even look like us. They don't do like us. What do you mean befriend our community? One of my favorite titles for Jesus in Scripture found in Matthew chapter 11 or Luke chapter 7 was an insult levied against him by religious leaders. You know what they used to say of him? Oh, that Jesus, he's a friend of sinners. My favorite title for Jesus was, at the beginning, an insult for him. That he was a, a friend of sinners. That he would have a meal. He would have a conversation. He would go to the home of people who were viewed as the lowest, the most sinful in all society. But yet, if they were open to him, if they were open to the gospel message, Jesus would be friends. Friend with sinners. Anthony, are you telling me we need to befriend our community in a time like this? Jesus did. And Jesus would. Yes, we befriend our community. Even in times, and especially in times like this, for the sake of the gospel. I'm reminded of the story in 1527 of the great Protestant reformer, Martin Luther. Now you say, well, what was really the big deal about him? Well, he's the reason why we're not in Catholic Mass together, all of us today, right? He's the reason why there's diversity in the Christian church. And man, he, he, really, he really did a great deal of good uh, for Christianity and the faith. Back in 1527, um, the bubonic plague had hit Wittenberg where he lived. Now, now guys, COVID-19 is hard. Nothing like the bubonic plague in Wittenberg at that time. Martin Luther, a great church leader, was urged by his church and other leaders in the community, hey, Martin Luther, you need to flee. You need to get out of here. We, we, can't, we can't stand the thought. We can't, even, we can't even fathom the thought of you getting the bubonic plague. Go protect yourself and get out of here. His response, he wrote some pamphlets to give out to his church and the community. And let me quote what he wrote in there. He said this, we die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregation. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them into crosses. And you know what? For him, that was more than a slogan he wrote down in a pamphlet. Because he would watch that very same plague take the life of his beloved and precious 12-year-old daughter, Rachel. He would bury her in the ground and say goodbye to her. But never did he lose his heart to be a friend to where God had planted him in his life. You know, I think of the Christian today and I think of while we're in this pandemic and all the stockpiling of food that happens and Man, the fact that we buy every bit of ammunition on every shelf that we see. I just wonder if maybe we're reminded that the high calling of a believer, the highest calling is not self-preservation, but loving our neighbor. Loving your neighbor. Now, don't you judge me if you go to Food City 
and all the bacon and little Debbies are gone, right? Like, I, you know where they are. Come over to the house, right? We'll, we'll partake. But hear me. Maybe, just maybe, befriending our community means our highest calling is not just self-preservation. And by the way, I wear a mask. I socially distance me. I socially distance you. I'm not talking about doing away with all that. But maybe the highest calling for the believer is to love and befriend our Neighbors, The church today, even in this pandemic of COVID-19, like the churches that have endured pandemics before us in history, as a church, we must take hold of the opportunity to befriend our community, to love them, to serve them, to share the gospel of hope with them while so many are hurting. Now listen, it serves leaders well not to talk about this pandemic, especially when it can hit, hit what you do for a living. Man, I'm going to tell you, I have literally dozens and dozens of friends here and back in Charlotte where we ministered before we came back here and men who've come down with COVID-19. In fact, I was just on Facebook with a friend and he's the only one that's asymptomatic, right? Uh, he's the only one that ain't felt bad, but he's got it. I want to be him in this, right? Like he's, that's my goal if I get sick is to be him. But all my other friends been pretty sick. Some of them really sick. And you know what? It's growing a little bit in our community. We don't know quite yet what to do with it, do we? Nobody really has all the, all the answers. But here's what we know to be true. It's having an impact in our community. It's making, it's having an influence on people. Here's what I found, you know, because I, I've committed with, with everybody who has COVID-19, and you're my friend, whether you go to my church or you're in my community or, or maybe you went to my church in Charlotte in my community there. You know what I've done? I've made a commitment that every day I'm going to check up on you. I'm going to call you at times, pray with you. I'll even deliver some meals. But here's what I found, you ready? And now talking with Personally, just me, talking with dozens of people who have had or who have right now COVID-19. You know what I found? Political discussions don't help much when you're sick. But prayer sure does. Conspiracy theories shared when someone is sick doesn't help either. All but compassion heals the soul. I found that, you know, nowadays everybody's an expert. The guy I went to school with who failed ninth grade science is now an expert virologist and epidemiologist, right? And so everybody's an expert nowadays. But you know what? Such advice means little when somebody's sick. But your encouragement, and it's medicine for someone's soul. Say, so, well, Anthony, how, how is it that I can befriend a community even in COVID-19 where I can't even look at somebody without a mask or I can't even come close to somebody? How do I do that? Well, can I just share with you some of the things that I've just committed to? Number one, you call them. You call them. Get them on the phone. Remind them it's going to be okay. Most everybody does pretty well. Remind them that they're going to be okay. 
tell them to take a deep breath and to focus in on Jesus and focus in on getting better. But you know what they need to hear from you? They need to hear you pray for them. Just pray over them. If you don't know how to pray well, you know what? You're intimidated by that? Write it down on a napkin before you call it. Go online and serve prayers for sick people and just read it. Whatever you can. You know what I do? I commit to texting nearly every day. And here's what I do. I put in scriptures and I, and I put in ways just that, hey man, I'm thinking about you today. I'm praying for you. Meet their needs. If they need somebody to pick up their groceries or pick up medicine, guys, you can do that and leave it on a front porch. And you can just find practical ways. Maybe cook dinner for them and drop it off because, man, they're just going to be feeling crummy. We've been known to do drive-bys, me and my family. Or we just drive by their house and we call them and say, hey, come to the window. And me and my wife and my kids, we just wave at them and just talk to them so they can talk to somebody more face-to-face. Trust me, we're on the street, though, through our van. Maybe the truth is, is that they're too weak to get out of bed, which has happened a couple times. You know what I do? I just drive by their house. I let them know, hey, I'm just out here praying for you. Right now. Find ways to love and serve people. Whether they're in Christ, in the church, or they aren't. If you have any type of influence, befriend them. And point them to the hope of Jesus. In fact, you know what I was doing last night? That very same thing. Found out a dear friend of mine got the confirmation yesterday. They were COVID positive, and I, I, I went and, and had mom. I called mom up. Said, "Mama, can you cook some of your famous chicken soup?" My wife and I were out to like my kiddos, and can you cook some up? And she did, and, and so I took that chicken soup over and I, I put it on their porch, and I went back out to my truck, which was parked on the road, and they came out, and it was weird, but you know what? I, I talked to them. Man, I love you. I'm praying you're going to be okay. Remember the hope we have in Jesus and find ways to love and to serve, to befriend our community. Pandemics, plagues, service platforms for you and I to befriend our community, to make much of Jesus together. If there's ever been a time the church needs to befriend our community, shine the gospel of life and of hope and of joy, the good news of Jesus Christ in our community. It is today. It's today. I want to close with this. Um, Speaking on friendship, out of the furnaces of war come incredible stories of bravery, heroics, sacrifice, and friendship. I read a story once about two friends in World War I who enlisted together. They trained together. They shipped overseas together. And they were fighting together in the very same trenches. They fought battle after battle, but on one such day, in one such battle, one of the friends was critically wounded on the battlefield. So much so that he was unable to get back into the trench with his with his friend. Well, the enemy gunfire was terrible. The danger was too great. There was barbed wire, there were obstacles. The critically wounded friend just couldn't get back. But his friend, seeing him from the trench, decided he was going to go after his friend. And as he began to leave the trench, his sergeant grabbed his clothing and pulled him back down in the trench. He said, what are you doing? 
It's of no use. Nobody can help him. And you're going to get yourself killed. And so that soldier, that friend, back down into the trench, waited until his sergeant turned his back, and he hopped onto the battlefield, and he ran out to his friend. He picked his friend up. And the next time the sergeant would see him, he was staggering back to the trench. He was mortally wounded, and his friend was dead in his arms. That soldier fell into the trench with his buddy. And in his last breaths, the sergeant looked at him, angry but deeply moved. He said, what a waste. Not only is he dead, but you're dying. It just wasn't worth it. It just wasn't worth it. To which that dying friend looked up at his sergeant and said, but Sarge, it was. When I got to him, the last words he said were, I knew you were coming. I knew you were coming. And then the soldier died. It's hard having a conversation about friendship, hearing stories of friendship without thinking of Jesus, that to thank God that Jesus found you and to found me, he found us worth it. And Jesus came for us just like we knew he would because God promised it in the Old Testament. Jesus ran onto the battlefield of sin and death in this old world and he was mortally wounded on a cross for our sins so that we might live. And there, the greatest act of friendship in all of history took place as Jesus would say greater love has no one than this than he who would lay his life down for his friends in John 15 13 and you know what that's exactly what Jesus did is Jesus your friend see your best friend have you ever had a time in your life where you placed your faith and your trust in Him and you began that friendship with Him? Has there ever been a time in your life where He saved you from your sins? If not, guess what? He's on the battlefield. And He's ready to save you. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.